Welcome to STEMiverse podcast episode 21. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Lael Grand. Lael is a computer programming teacher at Barker College based in the Sydney suburb of Hornsby in Australia. At the college, Lael is the team coordinator and part of the mentor team of the Barker Redbacks. The Redbacks have established themselves as one of the leading robotics teams in Australia. When Lael is not planning the future of robotics and STEM education at Barker, he teaches programming as a part of the computer science faculty. We interviewed Lael and two student members of the Redback team at the Barker College campus. The result is a two-part episode in which we discuss the importance of using robotics as a vehicle to develop multiple skill sets and attitudes in students. In this first episode, Lael talks about robotics education in Barker College and the benefits of cooperative competition. In the second episode, two student members of the Redbacks team, one current and one alumni, give us a student perspective of what team membership is like for them and how it has helped them develop technical, personal and interpersonal skills. Saskia, a current member and one of the team captains, is in year 11. And Alistair is a team alumni and now studying engineering. I'll take one more minute in this introduction to give you some background on the Redbacks robotics team. The team grew from a small number of students in 2014 through to their successes in 2017. In 2017, the team competed in Australia and around the globe in the first robotics competition, FRC, the first tech challenge, FTC, and the VEX robotics competition, VRC. The team won the most regionals of any team in FRC and were finalists in their division at championships. This is STEMiverse podcast episode 21. Welcome to STEMiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I am Peter Dunmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. So, Leo, thank you very much for um, inviting us to Barker College, an amazing campus here in Hornsby. A nice sunny day as well. Uh, we didn't get lost this time. <laughs> so, we are here. Actually, tell us, where, where are we? What is this place that we're sitting in here? Absolutely. So, we're currently sitting in the robotics laboratory. Um, we're upstairs in the office, but the robot lab is basically underground in an old uh, drama theatre room and that we got to take over when they moved into a new building. So that's our space. Yeah, so we spent a bit of time looking at it earlier and you've got uh, a setup with a couple of Lego robots in, yep. in a, uh, I suppose, how would you call it? Not a container, but kind of pitch. Like a field, a, yeah. A field. Yeah. yeah, so basically at the moment, what you would have seen is the two fields for, one for VEX Robotics and one for FTC. Uh, and VEX is basically almost like a Meccano-like um, robot kit that you put together and you've got all the components there ready to build a robot. FTC is very similar. Most people use like a Tetrix is what they call a Tetrix kit, which is very much the same thing. Um, slightly different bent and focus between the two competitions. 
and then well, you, and you can make custom robots. And so for us, for FTC, we make completely custom robots. Hmm. We'll come back to that <laughs> later. Yeah. So let's uh, rewind and go back to the beginning. And I'd like to ask you to tell us a few things about yourself, maybe mm. about your background. And we, we want to see why you are interested in robotics and yeah. then what is your role in robotics or STEM education here at Barker College? Absolutely. So I'm the coordinator of uh, robotics at Barker. So basically I'm uh, responsible for the strategy and planning across the whole school for how we integrate some of our STEM ideas in practice. And so for us in robotics, it's basically uh, we're going from junior school where we do Lego and we build Lego there all the way through middle school and then senior school where we do FRC. Um, so the middle school... Sorry, what's FRC? Oh, sorry, yeah, all these acronyms, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's going to be a lot of them. Uh, FRC is called the First Robotics Competition. Yep. And so that's a large... You build larger robots. The robots are about a metre wide by about a metre long and then anything up to 1.5 metres tall. Big um, fellows. Absolutely. Is that an Australian competition or international? So it started in the USA. So it started out of New Hampshire in the USA uh, and, and a guy called Dean Kamen who invented the Segway sort of said, we want to inspire people to be involved in STEM. Uh, so what's the Segway? <laughs> <laughs> the Segway, yeah, indeed. And so they then said the best way we can do that is by making uh, something that's really attractive to students. It's like a competition. Yeah. How do we do that? Well, I don't know, let's put a robot competition together so they have to implement STEM skills across the spectrum all in one sort of package. And that's where it all came, that's where, where it all started. So Vexen first actually started together and then after a number of years, the competition sort of split into two separate competitions. Yeah. So how come you're doing an American competition? Because there are no Australian <laughs> robotics competitions. Yep. Really? Yep. Nothing, that's, nothing that I'm aware of that's actually started here in Australia and nothing that's as large or, or as competitive. So in, in FRC, for example, in the first robotics competition, we're competing against, there's a number of universities in Australia which are sponsoring teams. So the students are all high school students, mm -hmm. but then the universities are actually providing the mentors, you know, the engineering students and things like that. Uh, and then we're also competing against teams in the USA that are mentored by mm -hmm. large corporations like Qualcomm, NASA, that sort of thing. So the, the playing field is a little bit more rigorous and challenging. And that's really nice to really extend where your students can go. Are you just getting thrashed? Or we're doing pretty well. <laughs> We're doing pretty We're well. We are yeah. sitting right next to the trophies. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, this room is really a trophy room. Yeah, <laughs> it's... A recording studio. Yeah, we've actually got... I don't know, this year we had a very successful year. So we uh, we were fortunate enough that we were invited to compete in China in Shenzhen. So this is the very first regional that the FRC had ever seen in China. And we've been sort of working with an organisation in China to bring robotics and the FRC competition to China for the last three years. And during that time, each year we go over and help teach a few teams how to build robots. And then we have a competition with the international teams that have gone, plus all the Chinese teams. And so often you in that competition, it's some of the best teams, international teams in the world, and then a bunch of rookie Chinese teams. So it's always a fun competition to help them, you know, see what a competition is like and see them get spec, you know, sort of improve really, really quickly. How do you teach the Chinese? How to manufacture and make robots. You would have thought that it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that. A lot of people say that. There's a few things culturally in China which are very different to the way people learn in Australia. And one of them is because China has a, a much more a stratified society, there's, a, there's much more of a hierarchy in how you treat and defer to elders and, and teachers mm -hmm. and things like that. And so one of the challenges we have is helping 
the Chinese mentors to allow the students to express their ideas and to make their choices. And so this year, one of the struggles we had was students that would say, oh, no, we can't change that. Our teacher did that. And so because our teacher did that, that must have been right. And so you you sort of have to encourage a bit more dynamic play in relationships, and that's always a little bit delicate. And in our team, there's always rigorous discussion around (laughs) designing and everything else like that. So totally different feel in some ways. And so part of it is sort of trying to help change a culture of designing and thinking and innovating. Yeah, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it is helping, you know, a lot of these kids are students of, to be frank, well-to-do Chinese families, Mm -hmm. right? And so they haven't necessarily been in a culture where they've developed and made their own things. Mm -hmm. And so teaching them some basic skills and then uh, teaching them how to put some concepts together, but their growth over three years has been enormous. So Mm -hmm. we've got teams that three years ago couldn't really put the robot together by themselves and are now making very sophisticated mechanisms. So it's they will become very challenging very quickly. How do the students communicate? With difficulty. Okay. <laughs> binary language. Yeah, so we try, if we can, we've, we've got a number of students in, at Barker who are bilingual. They've grown up in, yeah. you know, with, with families that are Chinese in Australia. And so sometimes they're able to come with us. Uh, and then they also normally, the teams that are involved in these workshops uh, have English speakers within them. So they normally try to encourage the teams to have make sure they have at least two people who can speak uh, English quite well. And their capacity to speak English is phenomenal. So mm-hmm. we were in a place called Zhengzhou, which is a mm-hmm. you know a small city of a few million in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And we um, and the the middle school there was a, a middle school there where they were at, and I think it was thousands of students uh, and all the students that we interacted with. I mean, they may have very well selected them, but every single one that I spoke mm-hmm. to there spoke very very fluently, which oh, was yeah, yeah it so makes it very easy. There's no area there. It's probably the cultural differences and what it put in the language I think so. differences. Yeah. I wanted to, to ask you about the FSC. Again, take a few steps back. Sure. Um, I've seen the videos and it's yeah. very exciting. It reminds me of uh, like NBA finals mm-hmm. game. It's a very it's exciting atmosphere. Lots of suspense. Lot of yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. The speakers, so the, the loudspeakers yep. preparing the crowd for the next mm-hmm. big match. So I can see why it's very, very exciting. Right. But from a learning point of view, a perspective, a learning perspective, what do students actually get out of in getting involved, not just in robotics, but competitive robotics? Yeah, sure. So if students are involved in robotics without the competition side, there's less motivation to produce something that's really excellent because you don't get the same feedback. And, and that competition side it sounds small, and yet it's everything. Mm. Um, it really is. And so for our students, there's there's a few things they get out of it. Number one, we have students come along because their friends are here. And they, they see their friends are doing something, and their f- friends talk about it, and they obsess about it because you've got a six-week six build period to build the robot, and that's all they do in their summer holidays, right? So from, you know, instead of spending their day at the beach or whatever, and they're no, coming no. in. Sorry. Just, they come to the lab instead of Bondi Beach. Yeah, it's ridiculous oh, <laughs> and fantastical at the same time. <laughs> I can see myself there. That's right. Yeah, so they, I mean, the middle of summer, we'll have uh, students in here from about January 7, and they're here full time for about two or three weeks building this robot. And then school goes back, and they've already been at school full time for three weeks. <laughs> it's it's, it's crazy. It is. We can do that as little kids. Yeah. So, so they come. 
that competitive drive to yep. build something better than the other team. Right. The thing is, is what differentiates just that being interested in robots yep. as opposed to being interested and creating something amazing that's better right. than anybody else. So you believe that the learning process there gives your students the edge. Right. It drives a whole lot of motivation. Te- technically as well as perhaps and from a personal Absolutely. So for those students who come in and they, you know, they're just interested because their friends have come in, they see the excitement, they see the draw card, and they they become interested. Um, it's usually when they go to a competition that they suddenly say, this is incredible, mm-hmm. I want to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so normally after one, they'll join us for one season and they'll sort of be on the periphery. And then after one season, they, they're hooked and mm-hmm. they want more. And, they, and, and so we see students come in who, you know, their grades are good. But then suddenly they see a reason for maths. They see reasons for science. Oh, they see a reason, that, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, and so, when you're talking about, you know, how does it drive learning? How does it drive that technical understanding? It drives it in a really fundamentally deep way, right? Because you've got students who they come in and they see this game. Let's say last year, where you have to shoot these ten-inch balls, grey foam balls, into a tower that's you know two and a half meters off the air, and you've got a, a reflective strip around the outside of the goal. How do we get it in there? And so suddenly we've got students who are saying, hey, we could use vision tracking, right? We could shine a light at the reflective strip. And if we write the right algorithm and use some vision processing, then, hey, we could be scoring much more accurately than we currently are. And so the same student who may may engage with learning in a classroom where you're teaching some concepts and you're teaching the same thing to every student, right? There's a, you know, so you're trying to hit particular targets for everybody. And that's fantastic. And you get to a point where the entire class hopefully has come to some sort of level of competency. But it's, while you give open-ended projects to them, it doesn't inspire the imagination mm. quite the same way as saying, if I can shoot more balls into this goal and then I'm going to compete in Sydney against other teams and if I win that, then I'm going to go to the USA and compete. Imagine the and glory I, there. Yeah, and I can play against teams from NASA. I can play against, you know... These teams like 254, the Cheesy Poofs, who've won so many regionals, right? Or, you know, like 1114, the Symbotics. Like, there's so many dynamics at play um, for the students where the motivation just ramps up enormously. And the capacity for them to make decisions about what they choose to pursue in depth is really open. So they can choose programming. They can choose, I want to understand the the mechanics of how to build a gearbox. There's, there's a team around Absolutely. the project, right? So people Absolutely. can not just specialize because somebody tells them, right? but they probably find an affinity towards the mechanical part of the robot, right? right? Or, the, the or the programming or the side, or, right? Or the business. Exactly. Yeah. And we've even got students who are now saying, you know, we're doing the robot pretty well now, but what about our branding? How do we bring that about? How do we communicate more about who Barker is, more about who the Barker Redbacks are? and our vision to help other people get involved, right? About our vision to actually make robotics something that's not just for some people, but for every student in Australia, right? And so there's a, a real motivation and drive there. So one of our students, uh, after championships, he came back and he said, oh, so we had this, you know, we had the holiday and I didn't have much to do, so I built a new website. <laughs> do you want to take a look at that? And it's like, yeah, of course I do. Let's have a look. What's wrong with your mind? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's good yeah. friends. <laughs> they do. They've got great friends. But they just love it. They just yeah. love it. And and it's, you know, it's part of, I think they see the value they're getting from the program as well, right? And so it means that and they're involved in it for so many hours that a lot of them, their best friendships do become a part of yeah. robotics. And yeah. what a great thing, right? To be involved with a bunch of students who have a vision for 
high technical capacity. Um, they're going to be, you know, one of our students just won the New South Wales Young Scientist Award. He's going on to the BHP Awards, potentially to the Intel International Science Fair Awards, where we're re- that's the sort of student that we're trying to produce. Yeah, yeah. I-, I want to talk to you more about what happens after these competitions. Right. Right? Where do they go from there? Uh, um, let, let's go before that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's see the drive, drive yeah. there. So um, just... As I was, as you were talking, I was just thinking of uh, competitive sports, like I was talking about basketball, NBA association, yeah, earlier, right. um, how it's a team sport and robotics, you know, intellectual activities like that mm-hmm. tend to be looked at as um, solo activities. Right. So you just sit at your desk with a board. Mm-hmm. Right. But it seems like there's uh, an extremely team sport, an extreme team sport. Absolutely. And even more than the team, right? It's about the whole community. And so one of the things that you sort of see very quickly in in robotics is that there's a great depth of technical understanding you need to actually get started. And so for a lot of teams who say, hey, we don't want to get involved in VEX, we want to get involved in FRC, they, the first question is, how do we do that? Hmm. That's really challenging. I'm not sure if we can make that happen. And the answer is, is that there's a bunch of teams that are involved in the competition who want to help, mm-hmm. right? Like Barker College and mm-hmm. Barker Redbacks. Like the, the main aim, one of our main aims is to make sure that every team that can uh, or wants to can get started. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in the last few years, we sort of helped a team from Ravenswood get up and going, um, from Abbotsley, from Pimble Ladies College. Like every time we can, we'll help somebody. Um, any t- so if anybody who's listening and says hey yeah. <laughs> like please contact us and we'll get we'll help we'll as much as we can yeah fantastic um, and so our students they they make connections not just with themselves but then with all the other schools they compete with and in in all the competitions in that we compete in you're competing not just your own team against other teams but you're competing your team with other teams against other alliances or other teams. Mm -hmm. And so that means that there's this intrinsic sort of incorporated motivation, not just for your robot to be the best, but to help your other teams be the best as well. And so you're trying to build the overall capacity um, of the entire competition to achieve more greatly, right? And so for us, we're trying to push the boundaries technically of what our team's capable of because our aim we would like to be one of the top 10 teams in the world, right? That's mm. that's our stated aim is we're trying to get there. Uh, that's going to be really tough. And we don't know if we'll ever get there. We don't know, you know, because everybody else is aiming for the same thing. But as we do that, there's a whole bunch of cost in that, in developing, you know, new new innovative ideas in training programs and in, in getting our students to design and, and come up with new ideas. And as often as we can, we sort of help other people with those as well. So we're sort of trying to pioneer and that's, takes more effort and time and resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then hopefully we can make it a bunch easier for everybody else who's uh, sort of coming along and, and making that happen. And that's the so aim. The, so the collective capability in building robots within the competition rises. Con- continuously rises. Absolutely, right? yeah. So everybody so, gets better all exactly, the time. Exactly. So, for example, 254, who's a team who's mentored by NASA over in California, they just release their technical binder for the year. And the technical binder tells you everything about their robot and everything that they produced, how they did it. That is that they produced a blog for the year. So you've got wow. you can look through and see how they're designing their robot they're, they're through the comp- process. So they're one of the competitors. They, are. they documented yep. everything that they've done. Is that yep. last year's robot? Or? <laughs> that's that's uh well, so they will re- everything gets released after the season. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not, a bit of a competitive. Of course. There's okay. a, absolutely the the amount of effort and time goes into it. There's always gonna be a competitive edge that everybody's looking to leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
everybody's also looking to help everybody else be better at it, right? And so it makes so much sense. Like if you're the best, for example, and then let tell everybody else how you did it, then yeah. they become better, give right. the opportunity to them to become right. better, which forces you to become better because you Absolutely. don't want to lose your number one spot in Absolutely. the rankings. Absolutely. And it, you know, it probably helps that it's not a commercial venture, right? Yeah. We're not, there's no proprietary technology. We're here and the whole purpose of everything we're doing is so that our students succeed. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the whole. And, and so, you know, if if the Barker Redbacks, if we get to a point where we're succeeding because we've got a bunch of mentors that are really smart and are building this robot that's really good, then we failed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really about if we can teach our students so that our students have this amazing capacity to design and build mechanisms. And because of that, they end up winning competitions, then we're actually succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're constantly aiming for is to sort of equip our students so that they are capable and then, you know, hopefully we also build in leadership skills and things like that mm. so that then they're able to actually go out and help other teams and help, you know, younger students. So we've got a mentoring program where our, our students have come through the older years, then go down to junior school and help the younger kids as they learn mm. with Lego and build Lego robots. So all yeah, of that. culture. Absolutely. How large is your team? We currently have about 35, 36 students that are active um, in the team, and that's not counting our year 12 students that are sort of leaving. So there's about five or six that are sort of, we we don't quite kick them out, but we sort of encourage our year 12 students to focus on their HSC. It's such a big deal here and they really need to succeed in that. Like that's, you know, it's a defining moment in your life yeah. that makes it much faster to get where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So if they can succeed in the HSC, it makes it faster than to choose whatever study they want to do, whatever else. So that's their aim. Um, so we sort of pick them up for the, for the first robotics competition. We pick them up sort of midway through year nine Mm -hmm. and we do a bunch of training and then they start competing sort of the end of year nine through to year 11 and then the end of year 11 they move on to the hsc do they volunteer or can you suggest to somebody hey i think that would be a really good fit for your personality for your yeah so we definitely have so the program actually started was started by a number of people in the science department um, so Macquarie University started or first sponsored First Australia and Mike and Luann Hamlick uh, started that program and they've been fantastic at sort of growing it here in Australia and they've done a great job. And then they've, so they came and did a pitch to some of our students here and they said, oh, that sounds really exciting. And so they went along and joined the Macquarie University team. And then two years later, they said, can we start a team? Mm-hmm. And Sarah Cormio and Cameron Dern, two of our teachers here, uh, to their credit, did an amazing amount of work to get that up off the ground. And some of our parents, John Nichols, uh, Manuel Zamet, were some of the founding people that, you know, sort of got involved and said, we're going to back this. We're going to make it happen. How long uh, ago was that? That was four years ago. Yep. Yeah. Well, so you've got a long way in just four years. Indeed. Yeah. A massive growth curve. Um, the How very, many students have gone through the teams? Only about 25. Right. Yeah. We've only had about 25 students. So, you know, we started with a team of about five or six. And this year we've got about 35 students. And then next year it will be a very challenging year because we're going to grow from about 35 students to about 70 students in the the FRC team. And that's Mm -hmm. because we started a, a sort of continuum all the way through from middle school and junior school. We've got about 45 students in year five and six doing robotics in Lego. And then up in the middle school, we've got about 60 students doing that. And so we've got, you know, another 30 students from year eight who'll move up and they'll become a part of the team. So it'll grow to 60. And then the year after that, it's going to grow by another 30 students. So we're going to have 100 students wanting to theoretically be involved in the team. Do you want to spread it to the whole school? Is that an objective? Like as many? 
kids as possible? Absolutely, if we can. How um, do you but how do we that? exactly? Yeah. And we don't know exactly yet. We're working on it. Um, basically, we need more mentors. We need people that are willing to come alongside and, and help and coach. Uh, and that's a very challenging role because the temptation is to want to build the robot, right? But you're not there to build the robot. You're there to help students learn how to build the robot and choose to do that well. And so you're sort of guiding them and helping them through. And it's tough because it's a very pressure-filled environment. You know, you've got a very limited time yeah. to build a very high-performing robot. So that's challenging. We should also ask. Do you teach as well? I do. <laughs> I do. A lot of my parents, uh, a lot of our parents, ask the same question: How do you teach? Uh, the answer is uh, with some difficulty. The, the school's been fantastic. They've allocated a, a, a substantial portion of time for me to actually be leading robotics and make that happen, uh, and that's been excellent. And that's growing over time. But there's there's definitely a challenge to try and balance both teaching and managing a very dynamic and growing program. You should ask, what do you teach? I teach programming. So that's <laughs> yeah, so that's absolutely. So I teach. So I teach. My main my main bent is programming, teaching students how to code and and create something from scratch. Uh, but of course, we do mid media. We do like digital web design, mm -hmm. all that sort of thing as well. And at yeah. Barker, is your ICT separate from your TAS? It is, yeah. We're sort of unusual. A lot of schools will have a an integrated TAS and an IT department. Mm -hmm. um, ours are two separate departments. We're fortunate to have enough students coming through our IT program that we have a, a separate faculty uh, and we have some of the best teachers in New South Wales, I think. It's, right. it's a really quick fantastic question. Group. What is TAS? Oh, indeed. TAS is Technological and Applied Studies. So it's all your woodwork, your uh, your sewing, oh, yeah. your cooking, yeah, yeah. all of your arts where you're sort of fabricating things and designing, uh, that's in TAS. The other side of it is all the design and technology component, mm. which is now blending more towards your sort of microcontrollers and Arduinos and integrated programs. And so that's where Barker as a whole, as a strategic move, is saying, our students are going to get more out of this like they do in robotics if we start to integrate some of these components together. Right. And so, yeah, so we've just introduced a uh, integrated STEM course, which was developed, I think, by Scott Sleep uh, up in Newcastle. And he's done an amazing sort of job of putting that together. And so we'll be using that over the next few years to sort of integrate it into curriculum. So there'll be some robotics in there. There are going to be some other integrated programs where they design and build sort of you know, innovative products is the idea that have a real science and technology focus. And is Scott sleep at the uh, the university? He he is. He's a doctor, and I'm not sure where he's actually. I'm pretty sure he's at one of the universities. I'm not sure if it's the University of Newcastle or not. Okay, yeah. we'll have to reach out to him as well. Yeah, he's fantastic. We'll Google him. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to ask you now, uh, fast forward. So the students will spend one or two years in the team, yep. and then they come out of it the other end. And, right. Um, how has that experience plus all the knowledge that they have accumulated mm. affect, affect them going forward? So whatever they might want to do, uh, HSC is obviously one of the things that they will do. Mm -hmm. And for, just for the sake of people listening, HSC is uh, the main examination in Australia for gaining entry mm -hmm. into university. So right. that opens up the door to pretty much university life. Right, exactly. And not everybody will choose to do that. Yep. Um, regardless of whether they do the HSC and go into university, how is this experience, experience affecting students going forward with their lives? Sure. There's probably sort of three main things that students get from it. The number one is they become, hopefully, masters of scheduling. And I know that sounds like small, but it impacts every area of how they choose to approach life, right? So you've got students who come in and suddenly they've got to balance 
I've got a build season where I'm trying to build a robot. I'm trying to beat the best in the world. And at the same time, I'm trying to negotiate with mum and dad six months, eight months in advance. Where are we going on summer holiday? How is that happening? How am I going to manage my assessment schedule? going exactly so that's <laughs> often the negotiation <laughs> mum and dad we can't go on holidays from this date to this date that's right yeah uh, so high stakes uh, for a period of time there's a lot yep. of high stakes com- competing absolutely objectives that right. they have to balance somehow absolutely right. so learning to prioritize within that then there's a lot of, there's a lot of flow on effects like how do I build a robot in six weeks and make wise decisions about what goes on and what doesn't in a team and in a team and so the whole question of how do I negotiate with other people who have a conflicting understanding of what good design looks like in this case. Conflict resolution. And yeah. So conflict resolution, negotiation, working out, and often decision-making, right? So how do I make the the best technical decision? And the answer is often, uh, we don't actually know what that is. So we're going to try you know, a number. Yeah, no, we're going to try a number of options. And that's really healthy for them because they learn that decision-making isn't fixed, right? That if I make a decision now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to have to follow through on the same decision in five minutes. If it Failure turns out, an option. absolutely. If that decision turns out to be the wrong one, we'll make a new decision, right? And so choosing a decision then and choosing them quickly and moving on becomes a very healthy thing for them. And so they become much more flexible in the way they approach their decision making and, and, and that follows through the rest of their lives. Then I think the next big thing that happens is the, the motivation for them to achieve in their other subjects goes up. Yeah. They just, they see purpose in what they're doing. They see that, that if they make choices, it's going to have a flow and effect and that results in success, right? So if I choose then to actually study, I'm going to get the benefit of that. Um, and then they've got a bunch of other students who they work with all the time, who they tap their brains. And so there's, it's often they'll come down here and especially in build season, they'll come down here and be talking about homework. They'll go sit down, work on something, finish that, come back and then start build, building the robot. So that's a major benefit as well. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think it gives them a, a vision of what's possible in a broader perspective than any other student gets because they see the best in action, right? They see that, you know, this year's challenge was to pick up for was to pick up these yellow balls and shoot them into a funnel that was sort of two and a half metres off the ground. So you had to make this big parabola to go up and then back down into the funnel. The best teams in the world were shooting them at about 15 balls per second. Yeah, right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, so when we so when we started, our decision was, well, what do we need to do in order to succeed in this competition? We sort of made out some stats and and the question was, is that even possible? We said we don't know, but that's what we've got to aim for, right? And so setting high goals and following through to make them happen, they see it's possible and so they start without even realizing it, starting to do it in their own lives. And so that leads to students who are more successful, right? And, and hopefully have better character as they've come through the process of dealing with other people. So hopefully we've helped form them and shape them as mm. leaders and help to, you know, help them negotiate what it means to work with other people. And so they, they walk out at the end being yeah. more successful. So with the cohorts that have left Barker now to go to yep. university, what mm. have they become? Yeah, there's, very, there's actually very few, right? Because we've only been in operation for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of our students, Alistair, I think you may hear from him later, he's actually at Macquarie University and he is he sort of got a scholarship to sort of attend there. Um, so he's really enjoying that. I, I think he's conflicted at the moment between studying and, and the robotics and mm-hmm. loving both and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how do I balance them. Uh, one of our students, uh, Matt Buffer, he's a 
I think he's at Sydney or UNSW doing engineering, mm-hmm. and he is working with a startup on mm. on quadricopters. I think that's probably about all I can say. Um, <laughs> but he's loving that, and and so you know, going from textbook learning to really quickly engineering and building things and prototyping and sort of that startup. I guess it really inspires for them. They really like the startup culture, really, because that's what mm-hmm. they've been through. Yeah, um, cool. it's probably our silly question uh, but I wanted to ask anyway hmm. how much stress do these students need to go through in order to achieve their objectives in the team <laughs> as part of a team and how many say I want to give up this is too much for me hmm. how many stick with it and get to the end and what is hmm. the effect of you know that uh, becoming familiar with that kind of stress level right. going forwards um, it's a really good question so I think that's probably two parts to it. Number one, we, we have students who come to the program and they see it, they're involved in it and they go, this is too much time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's for a lot of students, that's wise decision-making, mm-hmm. right? They go, I, I, I can see if I get involved in this, it's going to be a black hole in my time. And I've got other things I also want to achieve. Therefore robotics for the moment isn't for me. Um, then the other side is you have a bunch of students who come in who love it and then choose that even though it's hard, to manage the priority and the stress, I'm going to make it work. Mm. And and it's those students that get the most out of learning the prioritization and how to make things work and how to schedule things really well. Uh, the stress itself in, in dealing with conflict resolution, negotiation, dealing with the challenges of a very short timeline yeah. and deadlines and, and the engineering challenges, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, okay. But it's not just on one person, right? Yeah, it's a whole so, team. You're right, it's a whole team. Yeah, and sure. so when we've got 35 students building the robot, you know, we've got a team, this year's robot had to sort of climb a rope, a 55 kilogram ro- robot climbing a rope that's about a meter long. And you had to do it, depending on, you know, we calculated that you probably had to do it in under five seconds to be mm. some of the best in the world. <laughs> we got it down to three. Mm. Right? And so our yeah, students designed about 15 prototypes to get there, about 10 in the first two weeks, mm-hmm. um, and had tested them. And so that process of a group, small group of about five people going through an iterative design process very quickly takes out some of that stress. Yeah. How do yeah. they do that rapid prototyping? Yeah, so they companies couldn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah. We're really uh, fortunate. We've got a very sort of, uh, I don't know, plentiful tool shop. Mm-hmm. So basically there's a few things we do. Number one, we use laser cutters. We have a CNC router uh, and we have a bunch of parts that are just sitting around ready to be used. So anything we basically destroy, not destroy, but we pull apart old robots uh, and scavenge all the parts and they go back into the parts supply it's then you know it's too expensive just to keep them on the robot yeah so we sort of reuse them as much as we can uh and so they're basically they've become familiar with all the parts from either previous years or from the off-season training we do with them Mm -hmm. and then they start designing and building the the prototype so we've started to encourage them to do it using cad Mm -hmm. which means that if we want to build a second robot which you know basically we have to put a robot in the bag at the end and then you have to work with a second robot then that allows us to duplicate the robot fairly quickly and reliably and precisely. So CAD is computer-aided design, software that you use to create mechanical designs and then you pass them through a machine that creates the actual physical part. Indeed, yeah. And so for us, the the parts in the first instance are often laser cut on sort of thin plywood or thin MDF uh, and then or we cut them using the CNC router. Mm -hmm. And so that means that we can sort of 
students can design something in the morning and have a prototype running of it in the afternoon. So, and those prototypes, let's be straightforward about this. They're not, they're rudimentary, right? They're not a finished product. It's basically for most of them, like for the, yeah, exactly. So for the shooter this year, it was two pieces of wood with some holes cut out for some bearings. And then you stick, you know, your hex shaft through there and then you drive it with the pulleys and you, you, either sometimes I'll drive it with drills. So you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, hex sockets that are driving the shaft directly or you're hooking up some 12 volt motors just to the battery. You're not doing any software control Mm -hmm. at that point. And so, you know, you, it's rudimentary, but it tells you enough of what you need to know to say, do we think this is an idea that we can follow? Do you have an inventory system? No, (sighs) we have, uh, we have talked about it actually this year. We're talking it. We had a real problem last year somehow we ran out of bearings um and that's a real issue when you needed them the most right yes yeah. <laughs> yes and when you're when you're designing a shooter that you need to shoot things through really rapidly and our one of our approaches was to try and create two shooters um that operate side by side yeah. <laughs> but of course that increases the number of bearings you need by double um, mm. and so in our shooter we had about 100 bearings and i think our stock of bearings was about 60 and we ordered in another 40 at the start of the build season but when you've got five different teams prototyping different mechanisms and each one is using three or four bearings plus then you've got a shooter team using 60 or 80 it was like yeah we were we were literally stripping last year's robot and pulling like you know it wasn't supposed to be stripped that much but (laughs) (laughs) the whole drivetrain everything was scavenged to pull bearings out it was just yeah so yes we need an inventory system we've asked some students to work on it and they've come up with some ideas but it's tough it's tough and you know as much as anything one of the difficulties for us is having a culture where students want to continue to do that, right? So mm-hmm. operating an inventory system is hard. Getting the students to clean up all their parts and leave a clean workshop at the end of the day is hard. And part of that is building a team culture. How do you get the students to, to do the non-sexy jobs? Um, it's like sweep the floor. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. That, part, of, part of it is we do feedback at the end of every season. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of this season, one of those conversations was, how do you feel when you walk into a workshop that looks like this? What impacts does that have on the success of the team? Mm-hmm. And nearly every student was like, we don't actually like it. We, we want a clean workspace. We want it to work well. Now, translating that to individual action to clean up, <laughs> yeah. we'll see how we, we're working well, on that one. Very, <laughs> okay. How do you get them to do things like documentation? Because from yep. my understanding, you get to keep the knowledge that you've generated yep. and you're passing it on to the next year. I can't get myself or developers to do documentation. The code How do you get students to do it? <laughs> yeah, the code is the documentation. How many times have we heard that? Just read the code. We, the answer, the, the short answer is we don't. Um, the longer answer is, so we've got staff who are working as robotics coaches and then we've got other teaching staff and we're actually, we've got to, one of the keys to our success has been our off-season training program, right? Where you finish the you finish the competition season, and then you start saying, "What are the weaknesses our students have that we know we're going to need to fill before next year?" And so, what we did to try and fix that was to develop almost like the scouts, right? Where they've got a badge system, and so we've got a badge system basically in place where you know for each area, let's say it's mechanical, programming, electrical, pneumatics. There's a five levels let's say and different mm-hmm. different ones there's different levels of technical depth needed so there's different levels available um, but basically they go through and they own those badges and so that then gives them the right as such to work on a different component of the robot when it comes to build season mm-hmm. which means they've got this motivation to actually achieve because they want to do more on the robot but 
the documentation of that is not complete and we're working on it. Um, and that's, you know, it's going to be a benefit for us as we sort of tell the kids, this is what you need to achieve if you want to be a subgroup leader. This is what you need to achieve if you want to be the team captain. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to demonstrate skills and, and capacity. And for the moment, we are communicating to that to them, but it's not documented anywhere. And so mm-hmm. that helps, you know, as we get that more formalized, it will help our students to aim higher, I think. So how did you set up the training program? What does that look like? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so at the moment, it looks like uh, our coaches who are, mm-hmm. who are great, they basically have developed the program. And so they know at this level, this is roughly what you're going to do. Um, but, you know, when I was referring earlier to the, the problem of having 30 students turning to 60 and then 100 is that we need to be able to scale that. Mm-hmm. And so being able to scale that means we need to document those levels so that other people can come in, see what's required for that level, and then we can slot the right staff and the right coaches in who have that ability at different spots. And so we can train more people more quickly. How are you delivering the content? Is it face-to-face? It is. Yeah, it's all face-to-face. Uh, there's nothing online or anything like that yet. It's all face-to-face in workshops. And, you know, part of our feedback we got from our students this year was we really love that it's informal. They, mm-hmm. they like that they get to the end of the day, they come to robotics, and it's not another class as such. Okay. Um, when so when, different. when uh, Marcus says content, yep. uh, do you actually have, say... Um, allocated 30 minutes to talk about how to use this microcontroller, for example, and here's the basics, and then off you go and play around with that. Is Absolutely. That so there's, so our, basically, uh, so our programming workshops, for example, one of our students who led the programming team last year, or sorry, he was the second or third in charge. Uh, he is basically developed a whole set of workshops where he's teaching Java, teaching students the basics of Java, how it all yeah. works. And that's been the last six or eight weeks. And then the last, I think in the next two, three weeks, they're actually getting hands-on with the second robot that we built this year. And they've stripped that back to a drive base and then they'll start programming and, and saying, okay, if we write this code, how does it? How do we read the sensors? How do we make the motors run? How do we then start developing code that reads you know, the potentiometers on an Xbox controller so that you can then write some acceleration code that gives you a nice acceleration curve and you're not you know, yep. suddenly ramping up the amps on the motors too high. Yeah, right. So all sorts of things like that. Wow. Okay. I'd like to uh, switch a little bit and uh, ask your advice. Sure. Let's say that you've got a teacher who says, uh, one day I'd like to go to the NBA finals yeah, for robotics and yep. take uh, the students from right. my school yep. with me, and, but I don't know where to start. Yep. How would you advise a teacher with not that many resources, you know, we're mm-hmm. just getting started. We don't even know what this whole thing is about, but we yep. just know that robotics is a good idea Absolutely. for all the reasons that we mentioned. Right. How would you advise them to get started? Yeah. My advice uh, straight up would be to go with VEX, VEX Robotics. Um, so these are Lego, a Lego so, brand, is it? No, so it's no. a different company. So they um, basically their vision was to make robotics accessible for every single student. And so they developed kits where you can basically put the kit together. You've got all the pre-designed components for you. Um, So you don't need to do any custom fabrication. You don't need to have any of the expensive equipment like laser cutters and CNC routers. You just don't need it. Um, And that's brilliant. And and then you and everybody else is in the same constraint. So there's no uneven playing field for resources. It's just genuinely, I've got a kit. What can I build out of it? And And there are competitions uh, specifically for VEX robots. Absolutely, right? yeah. So VEX is actually the biggest competition in the world. Yeah. So they got last year they won the Guinness World Book of Records record for the largest robotics competition. It's I 
I'm really bad with this. I need to look it up. It's either 14,000 or like 40,000. There's obviously a big difference. No, teams. Teams. So teams, Bro. yeah, around the world. And it is the most globalized robotics competition around the so world. So there'd be one of those competitions in, in most major cities. Absolutely, yeah. So, so Australia is kind of a little bit behind. Barker is actually just starting VEX in Sydney. So we're going to be hosting competitions here at Barker. We've just started up. We've got in our middle school, we've got a number of teams that are starting to build with the, the VEX robots. Um, but the big thing for a teacher who, who you know is just getting into it is that the curriculum that VEX puts out is incredible. Right. They've got, yeah, That's they've got key. online learning resources available everywhere. So you basically go on there, they'll teach you, they go through the major engineering principles, they go through thinking through strategy of how the game will play. They, they go through and show you, how do I design a CAD model of my robot, right? So instead of building it from scratch, I can go in, pull all the components, put them all together, and suddenly I've got a, a completely, you know, computer-aided... On the screen. Exactly. They've got a virtual, like, environment where you can program your robot and then watch a virtual robot simulated. do those. Yeah, simulate it. Mm. So they've just, they've done a phenomenal job. Is this Zero Robotics... Yeah, so Zero Robotics is different. So that's, um, that's, I think it started in MIT. Um, okay. But it's basically, you. I don't know, when you were like really young kids, did you ever have those toys where they're like the shape and they've got the two halves and you pull them apart and you put the shapes in? They're almost like an, an octagon, but like a, a decagon. I don't know, dec dodecahedron, what would you call it? And anyway, so it looks... It, well, it looks kind of like that. <laughs> if you can we'll imagine that. But it's kind of like a ball with uh, a number of sort of cor like corners cut off, if yeah. that makes any sense. And and basically, with Zero Robotics, if you program well enough in a virtual competition, then you can actually get your code put on one of these actual little objects that you know goes in zero gravity on the International Space Station. <laughs> And then shoots around. What? So, yeah, it's it's amazing. So we actually had our zero robotics team here at Barker actually for the first time made it onto the space station. Yeah, really so they got yes, yeah, so they got to see their code running in zero gravity on the space station, which is pretty amazing. That's another interview. Um, yeah, going into space. <laughs> well, right, we had so, so so Vex is is a good place to begin. You get the yeah. hardware, you get the curriculum. Yeah. you can train yourself, even if the teacher is not familiar with all Absolutely. these technical topics. Right? Exactly. So the students, you know, even if the if the teacher's learning while the students are learning, totally fine yes. because everything's laid out for you, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah, um, and which is very good for the culture as well. Indeed, like, uh, indeed, it's. Now. In Australia, the culture is very leveled in terms of hierarchies. Mm -hmm. It's it's great to have a teacher there who is an expert and knows exactly what they're doing. Sometimes it's just as valuable to have somebody there, itself. yeah, who's still learning themselves and is figuring things out as you go. And that gives the students permission to not need feel like they need to know it straight off. Like there's not that criteria of success because they're still learning as well. Yeah. So in terms of a school organizing perhaps a, a space yep. like you have your space amazing right right but not every school is fortunate enough to have a dedicated space so how would they deal with that so barker started out of a storage closet in the science labs <laughs> that's that's where humble we started beginnings. yeah humble it beginnings really no it doesn't matter all you need to do is just start genuinely the truth you just need to start don't and come up with excuses that I don't no. know there are space or no, no. I don't know anything about robots, no. right? That's, that's an excuse. Nothing will ever be perfect, right? And there's there's people around who would love to help you. We're one of them, and there's yeah. lots of other teams as well that will help you as well. Uh, but just get started. That's that's really the key. Is just get started. So if but you want a competition, yeah. So you can like so if look if up. There's none one, if there isn't one, yep. maybe start one yourself. Absolutely. Right? Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because VEX will also provide you with uh, information on how to set up. Indeed. So you can, right. So we will, yeah. So if you need any help with that sort of thing, get in contact, we'll help you. I can put you in contact with VEX people. So if you're in an area, like let's say you're in Australia or another part of the world and you want us, you realize VEX doesn't exist, let us know. We'll help you out. No problem. Um, Because really it's about students getting the capacity to learn and, and increase their skills, right? It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you are. What we're about is really about everybody in the world having access. Do you see any difference between um, engagement with robotics between boys or girls? Is there one or the other? Like, do, do girls actually like robots? They love it. In they are co-ed down to what year? Yeah. So, ask. So, in, yeah. so in Barker, it's a little bit of a challenge at the moment. The reason we found it a challenge is because the school is starting to go co-ed now. So we've been co-ed for, I think, probably 25, 25, 30 years up until year 10. So students, girls would come in at the start of year 10 and then they would go through to year 12, graduate and move on. Um, But the rest of the school was all just males. And so by 2020, the school will be entirely co-ed and that's going to make it a bunch easier for us because what we've had is we've had a number of students who'll come in They'll be really excited about it. We'll make some announcements at the start of the year for Year 10 saying, hey, if you want to join, come and join us. And the girls go, this is great. And they come down and they see the robot half built because we're already halfway through the build season. And they go, oh, I, I, there's nothing for me to do here. right? Or there's so many people that are already so skillful. And so what we're trying to do there is basically we'll introduce STEM and robotics much earlier to them. And, as the, and it'll just be a normal progression all the way through the college. Uh, but, you know, for example, when we went and helped start us a team at Pimble, a Pimble Ladies College, mm-hmm. there was, I think there was a sign, we did a presentation to their assembly, their student, the girls just loved it. They loved the robot. They loved everything. And I think they've got a team of 35, 40 wow, girls, like within six months, 12 months. Yep. So is there a question of are girls interested? That's not the problem. Yes. Right? The, the question is really, how do we provide opportunity for them to be engaged? I think there's obviously a massive disparity in, in industry of girls and, and, and females in STEM, whether that's biological or whatever, I don't know, but that doesn't matter. For us, we'll give the opportunity, and if they take it, they take it. But in your experience, it doesn't seem that there is any difference. It's not, it's really about it doesn't seem like it. It's, it seems like it's largely about opportunity. So these robots look quite expensive. How do you pay for them? They really are expensive. There's no doubt about it. Um, at the top end, the you know when we're talking about Vex, they're not nearly that expensive. When we're talking about Lego again, you know that's completely accessible. The FRC robots, there's there's no way of denying it, right? It's an expensive program. How much um, is a robot? Uh, the official valuation limit for a robot is I think four thousand or five thousand US dollars. Um, valuation limit yes so you work? can't spend more than that to build your robot right not you can't That's spend it. more than that to build the robot the entire bill of materials for the robot needs to be under that amount right. however that doesn't include anything you custom design or make it so it only includes all the off the shelf packages doesn't include any of your time doesn't include the 15 prototypes you made to get okay. there yep. just the final robot so, so make that 10 or 20 times <laughs> uh, not quite that much but <laughs> yeah times. you're definitely like realistically if you if you want to build just the kit and the chassis and you want to sort of put some things on you can build a robot that will compete and be accessible in the program for under 10,000 Australian dollars mm. right if you want to go further if you, you want to beat NASA, what do you have to do to beat NASA? What do you have uh, to do to my, beat NASA? So, so we, don't have any, we don't have anywhere near this budget, but the, there's, 
it is a common thing in the USA for teams to have a recurrent budget of between two hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand US dollars. Right. And so we're competing. Yeah, it's amazing. We're competing at a fraction of that budget, um, but we still have you know the school's been very generous in funding us. So that's our that's our primary sponsor is the the school. Our next sponsor is the parents of our students who. Uh, help pay for our students to go on these trips to actually get places and compete, right? And so that's those are our two big funding sources. Then we have a number of really sort of generous sponsors who are helping us out. So we have aluminium suppliers, engineering plastic suppliers. Uh, we have uh, robotics parts suppliers. You're allowed uh, to mention who they are. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. So so Aluminium Warehouse uh, over at uh, Brookvale, they've been absolutely fantastic in sponsoring us. All plastics, they've been amazing as well. Uh, we've got... Uh, IFI, Innovation First International, they actually own VEX, they own um, VEX EDR, they own a bunch of companies. They are, they're our major sponsor at the moment and they sort of help us by giving us parts every year and that makes it cheaper to build robots. Um, but they, their heart to actually build STEM education is just phenomenal. Yeah. Like I was speaking with some of their leaders about the whole program and they were like, VEX EDR is a charity, basically. They they it's basically a zero-sum game for them at the end of the like development costs and everything else like that means they make no profit from it. So it's phenomenal with the amount of work wow. that goes into it. Yeah, I'm so um, Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah. Uh, so and then we use a manage a, a management platform called Bitrix Twenty Four. Uh, that's phenomenal for planning for us for planning calendars for our students to be able to communicate online for task management, all integrated in a system for they use it on their phone to chat with each other and communicate. Um, that's been amazing. So they've been sponsoring us for the last year. In fact, if you want to try it out, I think I think it's still valid. There's a coupon. If you put on the coupon Redbacks, All right. uh, then you'll get unlimited storage or something like that, um, and you get a discount. So on that's not for schools, right? Yeah. No, it's like it's used mostly by industry. Oh, industry. Um, okay. Yeah, for it's actually the biggest thing. Sorry, it's a project management software. Partially project management, but I think the biggest thing it's used for is actually CRM, like customer relationship All management. Right. Yeah, the project management is growing in its capacity it's not perfect yet uh, but it's very very good and so that's what we use so we've got a bunch of monitors down that show up you know task lists for students to do that they put together and a calendar of what's coming up and and that's on the side of our lab wall so you know they can there's both a, a virtual thing in their pocket and on the walls at all times and then we've got arnet who are you know Australia's academic research network they're a massive isp uh, and they're phenomenal. They've been supplying mentors for us for the last three or four years, and that's made a significant difference to our to technological capacity to sort of build advanced robots. Yeah. So those are our major sponsors. Yeah. If a company wants to sponsor, what do they need to do? Mm. Oh, yeah. How do they go about it? Absolutely. If you contact and, and why us, why would somebody sponsor you? Yeah. Like, why? Why bother? It's expensive. It does sound expensive. <laughs> the, the biggest reasons people sponsor us is actually because they see it's a good thing. That's genuinely the reason is most most companies say, we really appreciate what you're doing in the students and the skills you're growing and not just that it's about Barker, but you're really trying to reach out and make this an Australia-wide thing, right? You're, you're making this bigger than just yourselves. And that's really the aim, right? Is we may be pushing the technological boundaries, but hopefully we're leading a bunch of other people and helping and make it possible for everybody else. And so, so that's what people see that and they say, we want to be a part of that. It's the right um, thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, for Arnet, one of the things they said was, we can see that the people that you're developing are going to be the people we're hiring in five yeah. years. And we want them to be extremely competent. We want them to be technologically savvy. And 
in a really you know profound way. Um, so one of our friends over in San Diego in robotics works for Qualcomm, and they are one of the major sponsors of the competition because he came into their workforce, started talking to them about it, and they, they said, how come you are so much more capable than all these other engineers we're hiring? And he said, well, this is what I've done. And they said, okay, we want to get on board. And so they're actually seeing this sort of flow-on effect for them where they're starting to get more students that are in, in, interested in working with them and are actually coming through are more highly skilled. And so they're reaping benefits from their sponsorship at the same time. Yeah. There's so much depth in that. Like what you're saying reminds me of a story I heard about NASA and how NASA picks its engineers, yep. especially after the Apollo program engineers. A lot of the people that followed were inspired by traveling to the moon. And yeah. that's how they, that's why they became engineers right. and the, right. perhaps the best crop of engineers. Mm-hmm ever yeah. that came through NASA. And it's because of that inspiration, also because what they were doing, they were tinkerers as well. Right. So that, that makes good sense. Right. Awesome for a uh, shout out to sponsors. Uh, keep yeah. up the good work. Absolutely. So there's probably, in, I'll just follow on, there's probably three ways we do sponsorship. Number one, if you can supply some sort of product or material that we're using. So, you know, mm-hmm. very basic. If you can supply people that are able to help us as mentors, mm-hmm. then that's our biggest thing is, is having people that are technically skilled and able to, to mentor in a way that helps our students build the robot, not try to build the robot yourself, which is always challenging because it's always fun to try and build it yourself. Uh, and then, of course, if you're able to help us with finances to make some of this possible, then that's, of course, a massive benefit. Great. Yeah. Um, rapid, fire rapid fire questions. Great. Yes. So, your favorite book? Favorite book? Uh, my favorite book is actually The Color of Water. It's about a, a guy who grows up with a black mother and is Jewish. So, is it that's uh, a fiction book, right? No. Or is it uh, real life? Ooh, good question. I I believe it's I believe it's autobiographical, yep. um, but partially fiction. I'm not sure. So why why is a book your favorite? Because it challenges it challenges so many stereotypes of what you think somebody should be, mm-hmm. and and why you should live your life. So going through the challenges for this person who grows up, going through the challenges of all this assumption and prejudice and and problematic upbringing and then to grow through it is i think really inspiring so it raises yeah. a question that we should really be asking ourselves as we're going through our lives absolutely and uh, yep. that's a trigger for actually asking the question so we'll yep. check it out that's a good one <laughs> i hope there's a condensed version it's pretty short actually yeah <laughs> but very very quick and inspiring read at least i found it awesome yeah Okay, another deep question. Yep. What's your programming language of choice? <laughs> Java. Java. Yep. Why Java? Uh, why? Why it's, Java? <laughs> why? It's cross-platform. It, it works well. It's got so much support for people who are learning yeah. to program a new language. It's strongly typed, so people who are learning mm-hmm. learn good practices. There's lots of good things to like. <laughs> okay. Yep. We're not going to blame you for that. <laughs> I used to teach Java too, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Any good things on the JVM? <laughs> like JRuby? Yes, JRuby's good. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, tell us about a person, fictional, uh, could be uh, a real person as well, uh, that has deeply inspired you. As a teacher, perhaps, as an engineer, up yep. to you. Yeah. Um, so probably a bit of a fanboy, but Elon Musk is very inspirational. A guy who's willing to take a lot of money, put it down on the table and say, let's do something that's actually going to drive not just my company forward, but it's going to drive humanity forward, Mm -hmm. you know, in driving forward electronic vehicles, in driving forward reusable rockets, 
in you know open sourcing all of the Hyperloop technology. He has a vision which I think more people in the world need, which is it's not just about me. Um, it may benefit me, but this is really about benefiting more people than yeah. just my immediate circle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what a good choice. I like, I love him. He's amazing. Getting like, <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's. What can you say about Elon Musk? Yeah, he's like uh, a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, who else do you look up to these days? Like, uh, yeah, there's no more Steve Jobs. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Steve Jobs is a different kind of person, though. He's totally, like, he's a totally different. Person. Like, yeah. well, he wasn't the engineer. Musk is right. the engineer, and he worked from first principles. Yeah. Right. You can learn a lot from both, like what I take from Steve Jobs, totally different discussion mm. there, but it's like the design aspect of his products where Elon Musk Making is things so user-friendly. Yeah. yeah. Stephen did so it you can pick things from different amazing people and you can come up with an ideal. Roll them up. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Jobs is really interesting just for the word uncompromising. Yeah. <laughs> when you build a product, as you know, building yep. robots, you make <laughs> compromise, 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 compromise. Right. Right. And I think the only way that Apple succeeded is by being uncompromising. At that which level, is yeah. Just insanely hard when you're building mm -hmm. a product. Right. Awesome. How do people get in touch with you? Absolutely. If you uh, on Twitter, if you follow at Barker Robotics, uh, that's us, and we sort of we're active more when we're at competitions, uh, but we would try and be better with that. Uh, if you email me, it's lgrnt at barker, B-A-R-K-E-R dot N-S-W dot E-D-U dot A-U. Uh, and those are probably the two best ways and then we can go from there. Awesome. Well, Leo, it was a pleasure. An absolute you pleasure. Time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was the first part of this double interview. In the next part, we hear from Saskia and Alistair. Saskia is a current member of the team and one of the team captains. She's a year 11 student. Alistair is a team alumni and now an engineering student. Listen to the second part of this interview and hear about life and learning as a competitive robotics team member from the students themselves. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. -E -E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.